The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the Hello world of dance. Hello and welcome back. And Thanks welcome to, to Pod to Chat I with am your host, host Barry, Barry Corrales, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 19 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hello. It's been a little while, hasn't it? (laughs) Thank you all so much for your patience while I took a two-month hiatus from uh, putting out podcast episodes. I guess it might be a little more than two months um, because I think my last one went on May 22nd. But I am back. I'm planning on continuing regularly. I just needed a break. Um, So, yeah, a lot has happened (laughs) in the past two and a half months since I've gotten to talk to all of you. Um, I just got back from Alaska and I, that was like five days ago. I'm recording this on Thursday. This will come out on Saturday. Um, So it'll be like a week at that point. But I I just got back from a two week trip to Alaska. I think I'm almost over my jet lag. Um, Worse, I've had like light confusion because during the summer in Alaska, especially where we were, the sun goes down at like 1130 and comes back up at like four, but it doesn't get dark until like one and starts getting light again at like 330. So um, between the jet lag, the like 15 hours on on flights to get home and then the light confusion, um, it's been whoa. Uh, But I feel like I'm finally getting back on track Um, and ready to like, you know, get the season started. Um, as I reintegrate into my New York City life and as things start gearing up for the new school year and season, I'm really looking forward to several things. Um, I have a student flying out from Denver next week. Then I'll be traveling to Houston and San Antonio at the beginning of September to create solos for Youth America Grand Prix for students. I, I might also be heading out to the Seattle Bellevue area, but that's not set in stone yet. Um, if you are interested, I, I do have more availability to create solos, uh, duos, trios, group pieces for Youth America Grand Prix before the season starts. So uh, reach out to me ASAP, though, because my schedule is trying to book up. Um, this fall, I'll also be returning to Ballet School Stanford in Connecticut and the children's program at Broadway Dance Center. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'll be doing coming up. And other than that, I'm really looking forward to teaching for Catherine Morgan and friends again on Friday, the 13th of August and Tuesday, the 17th of August. I'll be teaching ballet and contemporary uh, and uh, one stretch and strength class. It's virtual. Come and join me. Uh, It's a lot of fun. One of them is a beginner intermediate level and the other is an intermediate advanced. And there's a mix of both children and adults. Um, So you can go check out Katie Morgan, Catherine Morgan's uh, Instagram and YouTube for information on that. Um, there are a lot of other things in the works I can't talk about right now, but, um, I will announce them as they come rolling out. Um, I want to tell you a bit about like the past few months, but I feel like I'm going to get to that at the end of the episode. Cause I kind of want to talk about like part of the reason, like why I decided to take some time off from podcasting. Um, I mean, that wasn't like the only thing that I, I did, 
Um, but I, there was, there were reasons for everything. So, um, I've talked about this many, many times here on Pot of Chat Talking Dance. So, um, but there was something that happened recently that essentially told me that I should do another podcast episode relating to mental health. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Cause you know, mental health isn't news to me. Um, so, okay. While I was in Alaska, uh, the Olympics started, which, um, it was great that I was in Alaska to like get away from things. I didn't really have like television access to TV unless I was like on the internet looking at YouTube or on news sites or social media. And I actually stayed off of social media a majority of the time that I was there, but it was also a little bit disappointing because the Olympics started and I love the Olympics. And like with the way the world is now with access to seeing things um, that are happening across the world in real time. It's been really frustrating watching the news uh, announce like the winners of events like 12 hours in advance before they actually showed it on TV. Um, but yeah, I, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> um, the Olympics started and I love the Olympics and I usually would like record them and watch them or try to watch them in real time um, and like root for, you know, Team USA and any other athletes that I had a lot of respect for from other countries. Um, but it just didn't happen this year. Um, I mean, we they didn't even have it up, the schedule up so that we could record it while we were away in Alaska when we left. So I just had to kind of accept the fact that I was going to pretty much be watching the Olympics through the news and random YouTube videos. But um, one of the biggest news stories that came out of the Olympics so far or that has come out of the Olympics so far in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, hashtag it's actually 2021, but we all know what happened, um, was that Simone Biles pulled out of the uh, team finals. Um, so they have like the, the qualifying around, she did that. I don't know how that went. I didn't watch it, but she qualified for the all around, which means she probably did well. Um, and then in the team finals, she did the first event. They have four. Um, she did the vault and messed it up and then left the arena and then pulled out of the competition and came back and support her teammates. Um, and then she continued to pull out of events all the way up until she, uh, I'm not going to do a spoiler alert for you. I'm just not going to tell you until she actually ended up, um, competing in the very final event that they had in women's gymnastics, uh, which was the beam, the balance beam. So, Simone Biles missed the majority of the Olympics. I, she probably competed, I guess, that would be in six events, where typically she would have done... I mean, I guess she was... By the time she had qualified, she could have done 15 events. Like four in the qualifiers, four in the team finals, four in the all-around, and then I think she qualified for three of the four. Um, or maybe she did all four. 16. She had a lot of chances to win medals, and she gave up essentially... Eight of them, seven of them, seven of them. Yeah, that was quick math in my head. Um, but yeah, I actually, I, I, I didn't really know how people were handling it. But then like all of a sudden the news and on social media, people were like, leave Simone Biles alone. And I mean, social media can be so annoying these days because it's like, Nobody has any idea what these people are going through. Nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and most of the people that are making these judgments have never even tried gymnastics or something even comparably physically demanding in their entire lives. So, um, yeah, I missed most of the, <laughs> missed out on most of it, but I, I got little peaks of it and I, I wasn't really happy with what I was seeing. But, um, 
one of the great things that has come from this is that uh, kind of like Michael Phelps after he won the Olympics, um, Simone actually got to do it as it was happening, uh, brought up the conversation surrounding mental health and athletes and how um, hard it is to actually do what you do and to have the weight of the world on your shoulders and to um, feel pressure from like family and sponsors and um, to want to do well, but sometimes things get in the way. Um, she had this thing called the twisties where she couldn't tell what up and where up and down was. And then we also found out later that her aunt happened to just randomly die in the middle of the Olympics. So, um, she had a lot going on and she, instead of just like, uh, falling to the pressure of everybody's expectations, she actually took the time for herself, which I have a lot of respect for. Um, and then they assessed it from day to day, and then they finally decided that she was well enough to to compete. Now, granted, she did have the luxury of having already won all of these Olympic medals, so um, she was kind of in the perfect place at the perfect time to put the spotlight away from uh, her physical abilities and to really become a voice of reason in not just gymnastics, but in the sports world and I mean in any type of activity that puts a lot of pressure on young people um and obviously this is where the tie into dance is because the dance world has a lot of young people working at a very high level under a lot of pressure coming from everywhere from families to schools to companies etc etc um so yeah I was really happy and proud of Simone Biles I don't know her but um I was really proud that she was willing to be humble enough to step back, to let other people have opportunities, um, but at the same time to like actually vocalize some of what was going on with her. Um, and that's the thing, like when you share, and this is something that I've been learning, I used to be like completely an open book and I'm still like 90% open book. But when you share, you can share things and help other people um, without necessarily having to share like every single dirty detail. And I feel like she really uh, towed the line well with letting people know some of what was going on, but then also um, keeping keeping enough to herself so she could take care of herself. Um, I, I remember when Michael Phelps got his DUI actually after the Olympics. I can't remember if it was after the 2020 Olympics or I think it was 2016 Olympics. And then he started working with Talkspace, um, which is an online, uh, like it was the way that everybody does counseling now, but it was like that before COVID hit, <laughs> like the virtual sessions. Um, and he started to shine some light on it, but it was like after the fact. So, so I think he, he had a, uh, a microphone, but he didn't have the spotlight. And I think that the difference here is that Simone Biles had the microphone and the spotlight at the same time. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that she, she brought this up and that it's now more of a national, perhaps even international conversation. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I feel has been slowly brewing amongst, uh, communities that work with high pressure, uh, activities with younger with with children and younger adults um i feel like it's been kind of a conversation that's been brewing for a while in the dance world it definitely has started to come up um with things from like uh sergey Polonin having a meltdown and quitting the royal ballet um and other situations like that 
Um, and not just like in the media with like Black Swan portraying, but like actual things happening to actual people. I know more with other people that I know personally, but I, it's not my place to divulge that information. So yeah, um, that's that. But I've been talking about mental health publicly for years. Um, I started, I mean, I back when I left home at the age of 17, I guess it started there. I, uh, I would talk to my friends about like my, my situations at home uh, when I was at the Kirov and the School American Ballet. Um, and then I was an advocate for other dancers as a union rep at Pacific North- Northwest Ballet. And then I started blogging when I was freelancing and I talked a lot about mental health. A lot of it was actually like what I was going through um, in that life of a freelance dancer blog. Um, but then that started to bleed into everything else that I do. So I've, I've, I've really been talking about mental health publicly for years. I don't have the type of platform that somebody like Simone Biles does, but, um, there, there's been a lot of information in my podcasts. Um, and yeah, the, the, the reason that I think that I am this person is because I grew up in a house where mental health was the focus. Uh, and I'm not saying that like, like we were like, Oh, everybody needs to be happy. And it's like, utopian atmosphere um it it wasn't intended (laughs) like that uh because we were almost constantly in crisis um after 20 years out of my house uh not this trip home back i'll talk about that in a second not the trip home that i had in july but the trip home i think that we went home in april um my mom finally opened up like really opened up with uh my husband myself my brother and my brother and his girlfriend um, about what it was actually like to try and keep a safe house with a spouse who had undiagnosed bipolar disorder, um, which really helped open my eyes to why mental health has been a theme in my life since I was a kid. Uh, I started counseling in my single digits with my parents' divorce and their uh, custody battle. Um, Then again, when my stepdad's issues, uh, his mental health issues started to create great distress in the house. Unfortunately, I stepped away from counseling as I uh, entered high stress environments of like dance school, like major dance schools and major ballet companies. Um, But then I came back to counseling again when I was freelancing and never in one place for very long. Um, I've been in counseling to continue to have a healthy relationship with my spouse, which also was very stressful to be traveling for four years and barely ever home. Um, and then I, I reentered counseling again this year, uh, around the anniversary of, um, the ambulance sirens starting to go off in our neighborhood with the COVID hitting Queens first. So, um, I've been talking about mental health publicly for years um, because it's it's been a theme in my life, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've I've been in counseling um, and that it's very helpful. Sometimes I, I go through sessions and I'm like, maybe there'll be three or four in a row, and I'll be like, what is the point of this? But usually, I like to have it there because, excuse me, um, I like to have it there because I usually you get caught off guard when you need it. And you don't, and but you're usually not in the right mind space when you need it to go. I need it, so it's like good to have at least like a consistent flow, so that when you need it, you actually can have it. Um, actually, it was really interesting uh, when we went to Alaska because um, I was talking to my counselor yesterday. I think it was yesterday about how I had all these like crazy emotions come up when I was in Alaska, and it was our our first like big trip away where we didn't have to worry about like different 
world crises or family crises or like my husband's surgery. And my counselor said, oh, that makes complete sense that you finally got to relax. And then you actually had to deal with everything that had happened. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I find it very, very valuable. Um, for me personally, professionally, uh, in my personal relationship, um, and beyond. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit more. So like I said, mental health is not news to me. Um, and I really feel like mental health is like the next step in, uh, the dance world improving itself. Um, I'm going to give some background before I really dig into that thought. Um, because I, I want to talk about like how things of how clear it, it it is to me that like mental health needs to be um, a major focus in our uh, in our dance community. Um, so okay, when I was training at like my local school. You know, we were a recreational dance school in like Southeast Pennsylvania, 45 minutes west of Philadelphia. Um, and we were there because we loved it and it was recreational. So there wasn't as much pressure on it. And if somebody did great, if somebody did well, it was like, yay. And of course, some people would have moments where they'd fall apart um, because uh, maybe they were in pain or maybe they were performing and they forgot the choreography. Um, but for the most part, it was it was a pretty positive atmosphere. Um and then I started going to summer intenses and it started to get a little more intense. And it was like kind of, po- it was like kind of positive, but it was like more critical, but that's what you expect. As you start to fine tune your craft, you're going to become more critical. Um, but the first time that I like truly immersed myself in the dance world outside of like an exciting, like six week event, like a summer intensive, um, was when I went, when I went to the Kirov Academy of Ballet. Um, I'm going to like go through a, a list of things that, <laughs> kind of give you certain hints. Um, there was a security guard. Um, I think he was the head of security actually at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. Um, and I remember talking to him and he, he was, he was from Africa and he had, he still had some more like, uh, beliefs about like spirits and things like that. And I know people all over the world do, but I, I think his culture, they, they strongly believed in this, but, um, he, swore that the halls of the Kirov Academy and Ballet were haunted by evil spirits. Um, I think the place had been, uh, like the dormitories had been housing for uh, people, like the clergy of a church. And I think the rest of it was a church. And I, I don't know if there were like burial grounds or I don't, I can't remember, but he swore the place was haunted by evil spirits. And I remember saying, well, why do you think it's haunted? And he said he had never seen so many children cry in his life. He said, every single day I see at least one kid cry. And it wasn't like we were like a massive high school um, or like a school attached to a company with like children's classes all the way up to like pre-professional divisions. Um, It was just like six levels of dancers. I think there might have been 50 of us in the school um, and maybe like 35 of us who lived on site. Um, But yeah, he said he had never seen so many children cry in his life as he did until he started working there. Um, and it was on a constant basis. Um, at, then when I went to the school American Ballet the next year, tears were a regular thing. Um, there were constant meltdowns and it could be anything from like, I didn't get that part. I'm never going to get hired. I was told I need to lose weight. Oh, I lost too much weight. And now they're threatening to expel me because there was like a fine line when it came to weight. It was like, if you look, if you gain too much, you would get a talk. If you lost too much, you got threatened to get sent home because they didn't want that like on their hands. I've heard that that culture has shifted a lot and that they're doing a lot better in that. But this was also 20 years ago. Um, 
what else? Uh, so that was like the two years that I was in like a, in finishing schools. Then I went and joined Houston Ballet. I remember the first like, I think it was the first month that I danced with Houston Ballet. There was a dancer. We were at bar. And I remember like there was a dancer who had been with the company, I think for like six years at that point, who was behind me. Um, we had the, the company had just gone through a transition from uh, Ben Stevenson as director to Santin Welch as director. Um, and the dancer had out of nowhere in the middle of bar just started sobbing and ran out of the studio. Um, and she never returned again. She quit on the spot. Um, I remember another dancer that left after Nutcracker and these were grown adults. This dancer had been dancing for at least 10 years. These were grown adults who already were well into their careers and they were so overwhelmed with the the stress and the pressure um, and perhaps not having the tools to handle it um, that they just quit. Like that's not super common, but that happened twice in the first few months at Houston Ballet. Um, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, tears were, I don't, I wouldn't say they were necessarily an everyday thing. I felt like the environment there was a bit healthier than it was when I was at Houston Ballet. Again, I don't know what it's like now. Um, but yeah, tears were still super common and it could be everything, anything from like frustration to pain to casting to not being able to cope, uh, and everything in between. Um, I actually remember feeling really proud that I had never cried at work. Uh, when I danced for Pacific Northwest Ballet, um, like I remember having my uh, evaluation, like my fourth season and Peter Bowl saying, I just don't really ever see you moving up to soloist. And I, instead of being like, I mean, I was upset, but instead of like crying, I was like, I'm going to prove him wrong. Um, but yeah, then the, my final year that I was uh, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, I was harassed by a stager from New York City Ballet. Um, I was returning from an injury that had taken me out for nearly a month, but I still got my, my, my shiza together, uh, to rehearse in the first rep of the season with, I think I had like two weeks to like get my body together to perform. And it was glass pieces. It was, uh, for the core, it was a very, very difficult piece. Um, and he pulled me aside and he told me without saying that I need to lose weight, he implied that I need to lose weight and he was nasty to me. Um, and the only reason he did this was because he was upset that I stood up against him as a union rep, um, because he gave the entire company a fat talk while I was out, like I wasn't there for it. And then I had to talk to, to the artistic director and say, you can't allow stagers to come in and give the entire company a fat talk. If you think that somebody needs to lose weight, you need to, it's your job as a director to pull them aside individually and do it in private. Um, Culture, even that was 2010, culture has changed a lot, but um, I, I cried after that just because I was mad. Um, but yeah, he found out I was a union rep and that I was responsible for calling him out and he he uh, he was not happy about that. But there's there's even a conversation in there in that, in that what happened there. So, OK, I'm still going through things. Uh, once I got to Ballet X, um, Christine Cox, the director, uh, executive and artistic director, would play mind games with me. Um, she hired me uh, by saying she loved my dancing and immediately after that said that she was afraid that because I was coming from a, big, a bigger company that I wouldn't be happy and would leave prematurely. Um, then I got injured and she told me that she didn't understand why I needed physical therapy because she never needed it during her career. 
And then uh, she handed me a bag of weed and a glass of wine and told me that getting stoned would help my muscles. Um, then <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually said that. It's so long ago, it doesn't even matter, but that's real. Uh, then when things got so bad that I had to pull myself out of a program, um, she fought with me back and forth telling me that I was injured before I arrived nine months prior and then telling me in the same sentence that I wasn't injured and I was just trying to cause issues. Um, so all of these things that I saw, I mean, and this is like a small, small list. I can't even remember probably like 90% of the things. I honestly think all of these are symptoms of dancers not having the right support for their mental health. Um, we are all, not all of us, but for the, for the most part, most dancers leave home that, that are going to be professional. They leave home as teens, as children. So they, they lose their support system earlier than they typically would. Um, and then if they move on to have a career, A, they had that. And then B, they're probably still children or very, very young adults performing at like the highest, highest possible level with great, great stress and with companies that care more about their product uh, that they put on the stage than they do actually about the person who is putting the product on stage. And Here's the thing, like, I think that companies have a certain responsibility when they hire a child and invite them to move across the country or state over or however far they're coming from around the world. I think that they have a responsibility for helping solidify a positive, uh, like solidify positive mental health in those dancers to instill. That's what I'm looking for to instill a positive mental health into those dancers. Because if you instill it when they're younger, they will become the the people who bring the other younger ones in and through, and they can help them. It, it's like it, it creates a positive cycle, um, where if you have healthy dancers, both physically and emotionally. Um, at the beginning, and then you push them forward, they will most likely become leaders who approach things from a positive mindset, both emotionally and physically. And then they want to, and they'll, they'll treat people better and they'll, they'll give them better tools. Um, so that's kind of the theme that I, that I, if I look back at even just those few examples that I give you, um, that's this the theme to me seems to be that like when things seemed like they were going wrong or when people were having issues a they didn't get the support b they developed their own coping mechanisms because they didn't have the proper support and then it allows people who get into higher level uh higher power roles in our great institution of ballet i'm talking a lot about ballet today but this happens in other things you can actually see what happened in Broadway um, with, uh, I can't remember his name, but with the producer uh, who just recently stepped on. But yeah, so I, I see, like you look at the person as an adult and you go, bad person, Christine Cox, bad person. But I wonder what happened to her at the beginning of her career um, in those like formulative years where you sort of learn the culture of an institution that allowed her to get to the place where she would fight both sides of the argument or instead of sending me to a doctor handing me a bag of weed. Um, so yeah, there, there's, I, I truly believe it, 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 it's, it's hard because the person does the thing 
as an adult and they're responsible for their actions, but something told them at one point that those actions were acceptable. Um, and that, in my opinion, mental health, mental health, mental health. So yeah, I finally got some freedom from the negative mental health cycle of, of dance when I started to freelance. Um, and that's just because I, I got to claim more ownership over my career. Um, but unfortunately, I just didn't have the skills at the time to see the bigger picture. Um, I went from place to place with my already like preconceived notions of how things should function and how I existed in those places and how people should should exist in those places. Um, and uh, I also didn't have the tools to like guide my own career uh, from an emotional standpoint. I only could from a physical standpoint. I was doing really well. Uh, on paper, but mentally I was a disaster. Um, and it just eventually drove me into burnout, anxiety, depression, and my career ending injury. Um, so yeah. Uh, okay. So let me move forward from just like telling stories. I'm probably going to get back to stories cause I want to talk a little bit about what happened with me. Um, and why I stepped away from podcasting for a short period of time. Um, for me personally, and I've been saying this for a couple of years, I think that mental health care is the next step for the dance world. And I think this is going to be a very, very difficult hurdle for uh, for our communities to actually like get past. Um, and the reason that I say that is because of something that I experienced personally when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, as a union rep, I was often responsible for bringing up uh, certain items to company members and the company members would get to vote on those things and then I would have to give the vote to the to the management um, so they knew whether the company, the union approved or dis- disapproved uh, whatever they were trying to enact or enforce. Um, so leadership of Pacific Northwest Ballet were trying to do a really great thing. Um, I can't remember. It was one of the last few years that I was with the company. They wanted to set up like an annual uh, assessment at the beginning of every season of dancers' physical health. Um, and the way that they proposed doing this was having the artistic leadership uh, leave the, the building, have uh, this organization come in and like document everything. And then they would be able to share it with the physical therapists. And then they would be able to uh, essentially target like weak spots so that dancers would be less likely to get injured. Um, but the dancers rejected it. And it wasn't like some said yes and some said no. It was like a majority of the dancers said no. Um, and the reason that they said no was because their trust had been, uh, what's that saying? Their trust had been violated. That's not the word, but it works. Their trust had been violated in certain situations where uh, maybe the a ballet mistress, I, let's say rehearsal director, let's just fix it now because at the time it was ballet mistress, but now they're called rehearsal directors. One of the rehearsal directors uh, would work out in the physical therapy room. And then when they would finish working out, they'd go over to the physical therapist and be like, how is so-and-so doing? Um, when in reality, that was supposed to be a safe space for the dancers to take care of themselves. Sometimes there would be an exchange of information or even, I mean, they were pretty good about not sharing information. It would be an uncomfortable situation because then the physical therapist would have to go, hey, I can't share this information with you. It's a violation of HIPAA. Um, so a lot of dancers had actually like seen that happen or had it, had it happen to them. Um, and they started to become very reluctant that any information would be used against them. And I get that. I remember 
I had some back problems when I first started my career that came up and that I was able to get under control for quite a while. But for the first like three years, I hadn't I had to like really like try things to get it under control. And I my back would go out like every couple of months. Um, and at a certain point, one of the the rehearsal directors turned to me and they're like, are you healthy? And they would constantly, constantly ask me, are you healthy? Are you healthy? And it wasn't like, oh, how was your health? It was like, are you injured? Um, and so I was so frustrated that there was a certain point where I had to actually ask to, for that to stop. Um, and, and it did. But um, I feel like most of the dancers rejected it because of situations like this. So how do we move forward if the dancers won't accept help when it is offered because they don't trust the intentions? I think it's complicated and I think it's tricky, but it has to start with a real push to show that companies actually care for the person who's dancing and not just for the dancer who thrills audiences um, or who shows up to every rehearsal or that dancer, whether they're sick or injured or that dancer that um, will replace anybody last second, even if they are still learning the choreography in the wings as the curtain rises. Um, it really has to start with a push that companies actually care about people. Um, and I mean, even it's, it's so complicated. And I, I say all these things knowing now that I am directing a company and that Sometimes I might eat my own words and sometimes I might be a hypocrite um, and that we make mistakes and then we should learn from those mistakes. But it's it's kind of like there, there was a situation uh, and I bring up, I'm not just calling out PNB um, today because um, I think horrible things. I think they're actually doing better than most companies are. I'm just trying to give situations that I know and because that's like my... Uh, it's, it's one of the major places I danced. Um, it's often one of my best um, examples. Uh, if you follow any ballet news recently, uh, Leah Merchant, um, formerly Leah O'Connor, um, was let go. Uh, she sol- was a soloist with Pacific Northwest Ballet. She was let go um, while she was uh, pregnant. Um, so essentially, you can't fire somebody for being pregnant, but... Um, there are loopholes in the contracts that allow certain things to happen. And I, I don't know the whole story. I don't want to even, I'm not even taking sides. Um, but um, I will say I have personally spoken to Leah, um, but I, I'm not divulging any information. Um, and like I said, I'm, st- I'm not taking sides. Uh, but uh, if, and this isn't necessarily happening, I'm just giving an example, but if a company says, we care about our dancers, we care about your mental health, we care about your physical health, um, no matter the circumstances, when you look at the situation that happened with Leah, it makes everybody in the company go, if I get pregnant, am I going to get fired? Um, it also makes, it affects their mental health because they they see this dancer who wasn't necessarily in control of resolving their situation um, and that they were given no choice in the matter um, and that she felt the need to speak out publicly because there was never really like uh, a conversation about it, which tells me that there wasn't any care for her mental health. It was just like a done deal. Um, so it gets really complicated and tricky because it's like there are going to be politics involved. Sometimes you need, like, who knows? Maybe maybe the Peter Bowl was 
told I you have to let go several dancers and at least three of them have to be higher level dancers otherwise we're gonna have to close the company like we don't know what's happening behind closed doors but every decision that somebody in charge makes has repercussions and for the longest time the last thought in most people's minds in the ballet world in leadership positions have been the repercussions of the mental health of another dancer. And if it has been, there's like weird legalities where somebody could sue you. So if you reach out to them and you try to like help them and take care of them, it can, it gets so complicated. I think honestly, like the, the nature of the United States and the legal system also complicates the situation because it kind of has to be a clean cut and then no conversation because then the person can use those things against you if they take you to court. So like I said, I'm not taking anybody's sides. I'm not saying like shame on Peter, Peter Bull. I'm not saying like Leah was completely in the right. I don't have all the information I, 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 from anybody. Um, I just have a little bit of information. Um, but the message it sends to everybody else in that company is be careful if you get pregnant. Um, and it starts to affect the psyche of everybody else in the company in different ways. Why would I trust if they provide a mental health counselor that there's not going to be something that's going to be used against me. Honestly, I think what needs to happen is these companies need to find, um, need to offer access to outside mental health counselors that do not come onto the site and that have no interaction with anybody aside from the fact that the company pays them. Um, but I see this, uh, this, this moment uh, for me as a union rep where the company rejected perhaps ha- having a healthier body and a longer career because they just didn't trust that the organization had their best intentions um, and actually cared about the dancer. So I cared about the person before they cared about the dancer. Woo. Okay. I have like a few tiny notes. I'm going to have to listen back to this one because I'm really curious exactly how this is coming out. Um, it's been a while since it's been like two and a half months since I podcasted. So Getting back on track. Hopefully, I'm not rambling too much, but um, I, I feel like this is some really valuable information. Um, so, okay, let me talk a little bit about what happened with me. Um, okay, so even though I've learned a lot through counseling and experience with burnout um, and working with multiple organizations and different ways of working, I'm still not that great at stopping myself from um, diving too deep. I I'm admittedly a workaholic. Um, I really struggle with like being able to relax. When we went to Alaska, um, it took me like 10 days to relax. But like I said, the first 10 days, like my brain was going crazy and I was like going through it because I was like, like there are good things happening, but like we always have like some things that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and I, I I finally had time and I guess my brain was like, you're dealing with it now. Um, so yeah, I'm still not really great at stopping myself from going too far. Um, I found out the hard way back in May that I actually do have a maximum capacity for work. I always tell people like I just have a high capacity for work. Like I can do a lot of things in a very short period of time. Um, and even though I may not be like in the best place mentally when it's all done and over, I have like a super high capacity for work. Um, but I actually hit maximum capacity in May. Um, 
I was running our Movement Headquarters Open Class program and other studios were opening up in the city and it was, I was doing all the admin for like five or five to seven classes a week with over a hundred students. Um, and then that program started collapsing because all of the open class programs were opening and it's the city is so saturated with that. Um, so I had to pull back with that um, and some people were getting really upset with that. Uh, what else? I... Um, I was teaching, like at my my regular teaching uh, at Broadway Dance Center in Valley School, Stanford. I was in the process of creating an hour-long production that I did in three weeks uh, from choreography to cleaning the choreography to scenery, costuming, marketing, scheduling, and everything else in between, along with the help with from several very generous people. But I was doing the majority of the work. Um, and we put on an extremely exciting show. Um, it was actually really good. I was really happy. Uh, <laughs> um, we had three shows that went very well. Our first, our return to live performance. We got a great review in the Dance Enthusiast that you should check out. Uh, it's at thedanceenthusiast.com. Um, but yeah, I trying to like do all that stuff, like podcasts um, and communication, and starting to like prep things for the summer and the fall season, and. Um, writing grants and everything like I was on the verge of a meltdown and when I say that like I had a night where I messed up and I sent the open class program to I sent the registration uh for two students to the different like I flipped them and sent it to the wrong class sent them to the wrong class and then there was an, I had to cancel another class and a student got mad at me um and then I got a text from uh one of my collaborators all within like a five minute period of time um, and it was maybe like 11.30, 11.45 at night. And I, my brain started short-circuiting. I couldn't think straight. And for a half hour, I was just clicking tabs and moving around. And I did absolutely nothing because I couldn't, I couldn't figure out where to start. Um, and then finally, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just looked at my schedule and I started removing things and canceling classes um, and getting rid of things that weren't immediate priorities in my life. And that's actually why I chose not to podcast for that period of time. Um, so what I had to do is I had to focus my time and energy on the important things that I had agreed to do that served my community and myself personally. And I had to kind of let go of the things that weren't bringing me income that weren't, um, really in reinforcing anything that was like immediately necessary. Like these podcasts are free. Um, I love doing them. They've connected me with the dance world at large in ways that I never would have had access to. Um, but it's all output. There's, there's not a lot of input. Um, so that, that's why I had to step away. Uh, but so yeah, what I ended up having to do was I had to really just like give myself most of July off. Um, I mean, I have to look for work, uh, because of, uh, the way that my finances are set up right now. Um, and I, I have to be available, but I didn't like kill myself to like make anything and everything happen. Um, so after our performances in June, I took most of July off from unnecessary work. Um, like I said, not that I refuse work, but I, I just stopped trying to create work out of thin air. Um, I went to P-Town, Provincetown for the first time with my husband and a friend, um, which was great. We got caught in a thunderstorm <laughs> and had to walk back from the beach like uh, an hour, <laughs> which typically I'd, I wouldn't be happy with, but it was actually really like fun and memorable. Um, I re-entered gay culture. We luckily left on the 3rd of July, right before that uh, all those vaccinated tourists got uh, breakthrough infections. 
Um, I taught virtually for Catherine Morgan and friends for the first time. Um, and I finished choreographing and filming our land of the sweets choreography workshop. Um, then I visited my family in Philly for a couple of days. And then, uh, my husband and I went to Alaska for two weeks and only did the work that was necessary to do. Um, I need this break more than anything. And I didn't realize how much I had been doing in the 2020, 2021 season and how exhausting it was to be creative and thinking out of the box at every step of every single day, because that's really what creating uh, and working during this pandemic has been. Um, I wasn't necessarily burnt out by June. I was literally collapsing. And the reason I was collapsing was because I wasn't taking care of my mental health. Um, even taking most of my Sundays off that I've been pretty good at, like taking one day off a week, I should be taking two, um, but taking one day off a week, I I was recognizing that everything was going on and I gave myself, um, and I needed to give myself space. But I, it's funny because I think that something happened um, as probably a part of my training, things that teachers have said to me that like you have to push through anything and everything that I am now a robot that just... I'm an output machine and I, I can, I, I'm, I'm educated and experienced. Like I've had enough life experience to know when I'm heading down the wrong pathway, but I have a really hard time like pulling the brakes on the train before we get to that intersection with the car. Um, and so for me, like when it comes to mental health, like I have the tools, um, for certain aspects of my mental health because I, I've done my research and I've gotten uh, into counseling. But also at the same time, there are aspects of my teachers and what they ingrained in me because of what their teachers ingrained in them and their teachers ingrained in them that allowed me to have a successful career and continue to allow me to have a successful career, but that also are extremely detrimental and dangerous to my mental health. So when I recognized it and I, I knew that I like, I, I couldn't just like tap the brakes or like slow down enough. I had to completely give myself space to sort of reset and recalibrate. Um, so for me moving forward, as I reenter, I got back from this trip in Alaska and I start to plan my next season, 2020, 2021. I know we're 2021 and 2022. We don't want to go back to 2020. Um, but yeah, as I, as I prepare to go back into this, my plans are I'm going to continue counseling. I'm going to continue taking a retreat every three months to assess and reassess what's happened and to reassess my goals, what's working and what's not. Um, and I'm going to try to make sure that I'm only taking as much work as I can without, and, and leaving even a little space for things that might pop up. I think that's one of the, the worst things for me. I don't leave space for things that pop up. Um, and then also like knowing that not every work situation is a life or death situation or like a career ending situation if I don't accomplish it. Um, letting go of the podcast for a couple of months, it was emotionally painful, um, but it, it wasn't like going to make or break my career. It felt like it. It's stupid, but it felt like it. Um, with this program that I was selling tickets to, that was important. I had to execute that. I was hiring dancers. I was putting money out. Money was coming in. That was something that I had to do. Um, but then like trying to force this program that I was creating, uh, this open class program that was not functioning properly. Um, I mean, it was functioning properly, but it was starting to have issues because the landscape had changed with everything reopening in New York. Um, instead of like, 
falling on stage and getting up and like dancing through that sprained ankle, <laughs> I had looked at the program and I said, this program is sprained and I, I it needs to take some time to reevaluate. So I'm reevaluating. I'm actually thinking of turning the program into a, a short-term tuition-based series for adults in New York City because there's nothing like that here. Um, and it would save me a lot of time and energy. Um, so yeah, these are the plans that I have to work on these things. Um, and everybody should have, they should know their weak spots. They should know where their, their strengths, most people seem to know their strengths, but they don't necessarily know their weaknesses. You should know your weak spots when it comes to your career, whatever career that is. Um, and you should come up with plans on how to take care of those weak spots. Um, for me, being a workaholic does not sound like a weak spot, but it is because I, I have burnt out so many times and it's, it's, I like, I am well qualified in burnout. Um, I am an expert at burnout and I can, now I can see it coming like a mile away. Um, but I'm still developing the tools, um, to resist the mental parts of my training that told me to push through things. It's like Carrie Strug to bring it back full circle to the Olympics. If you look at Carrie Strug back in, I think it was 1996, she did a vault. She hurt her foot. Um, Bella Caroli said, you can do it, and made her do a second vault that she didn't even need to do. She landed on one foot. They, she was in a splint before they even got their medals. Um, and she was like lauded as this hero. And like, I still look back and I have so much respect for her, but now like also with this perspective of like actually considering the mental health of athletes and children and teens and young adults and anybody in reality, um, you look at that moment now and you, you kind of look at it in horror. Like this child was forced against her will. She said she didn't want to. If you listen to the, the recording, you can, she didn't want to, but she was essentially forced to do this thing. And then it was like lauded, but then she never did gymnastics ever again. Um, wow. That, I think that that's, that's a, that's a moment in time. And it's fascinating to see how culture shifts, um, because that was such a powerful moment. And now it's kind of like a cringy, cringy type moment, but I mean, that's what happens when you start to like actually assess um, what is best for people as opposed to what is best for the economy, what is best for the country, what is best for uh, this organization, what is, it's really what is best for the individual because everything in the world is made up of, of individuals. Our country is our country. <laughs> Here I go tangenting. Um, but our country is only our country because it is made up of millions of Americans, individual Americans. Um, our country, is, the United States of America is not a person. And we try to collectively come up with like rules and ideals um, so that we can get along. But in reality, it's made up of individuals. And if we don't take care of the health of individuals, it, whether it's a small community like the dance world or a large community like a country, um, we're not going to we're not going to do very well for ourselves. And then we're going to take it out on other people. And it's just going to make things worse. So I really truly think that mental health is the next step in the dance world. Uh, my generation was all about physical health. Uh, my generation was the, the generation that really started to like hone in on physical therapy and cross training. Um, and I truly believe that like we're at that point where it's finally a con mental health is finally a, a conversation. Um, and I'm hoping that over the next 10 years, 
kind of like I watched during my career with, with physical therapy and cross training, that mental health care, especially for young dancers who leave home early to train, and then those who get into these high stress, high performance careers uh, as children. I really hope that uh, we are in this time where this is going to change and um, our field is really going to look at the person before they look at the dancer. I would always, my grandmother always introduced me to everybody uh, as her dancer grandson. And I would always say, grandma, I'm, I'm Barry and I'm a dancer. Um, and she kept on doing it. It frustrated me beyond belief because the value is put on the dancer first and not the person. Um, and I still feel the same today that we, we need to look at the person first because the person is the dancer. And if you look at the person and you give that person a positive place to approach things, I, I, I've actually watched it in my own practice as a teacher and a coach and a choreographer and a director. Um, if you, if you hire people who want to do well for themselves but you nurture the person and you you empower them even if even if a dancer doesn't give their best performance instead of going up to them and saying wow that was pretty bad you need to fix these things instead you already know that they know that it didn't go as great as it should have so you you go it happens Let's work on these few things next time we have rehearsal. Um, but then you give them a little bit of a pound in the back. Like, you made it through. It's going to be okay. Okay? Um, that's really, in my opinion, the best way to approach things. Um, so, yes. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health. <laughs> and like I said before, mental health is not news to me. So, that's today's episode of Pot of Chat Talking Dance. Thank you so much for returning after our two, I think, two and a half month hiatus. I really appreciate you giving me that time. Um, and I got so much support from people when I wrote that I was taking a break. Um, I got several messages and um, it just, it was a mental health thing. It reinforced that what I was doing was okay. And then it was okay that I took some time to take care of myself. So thank you uh, to all of you who reached out for that. Um, also, I haven't said this in a long time, but uh, if there are any episodes, uh, topics that you'd like to hear me talk about, please uh, reach out to me on Instagram, um, which I'll say in the outro here or on Facebook, or you can always go onto my website contact page um, and send me a message. And I, I haven't done a listener topic in quite a while. So, all right, let's go 2021, 2022 dance seasons last school year. Uh, let's get this thing going off right and let's take care of ourselves. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. While I'm talking about websites, I should also tell you that my company, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, has a website and you can check us out at www.movementhqballet.org. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. 
If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus. My company's Instagram is at movement underscore headquarters or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I wrote for five years about traveling the country as a freelance artist on Life of a Freelance Dancer. And I also wrote at Dancing Off Stage about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. You can also check out my choreography by visiting YouTube and checking out the B. Corolla's channel or Movement Headquarters. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.